1: Slow Burn Media an Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Holly Piranin was abducted during a family vacation in Sturbridge on August 5, 1993. Her body was found a few months later in Bringfield. Answers on who did it are still unknown. What started as a 10-year-old walking to her grandparents' neighbor's house to see puppies with her younger brother led to her never coming back. This past February, the Hamden District Attorney's Office released new evidence to the public. A tank top found at the crime scene with the hopes
0: of sparking new leads. Kaylee Holly was just 10 years old when she disappeared after going on a walk on August 5th of 1993. She was vacationing with her father and other family members at a cottage in Sturbridge. Her father last saw her going towards homes in Allen and South Shore Road's area to play with puppies. And when she didn't come home, her father began searching and reported her missing. While searching, he found her sneaker on South Shore Road and her body was found by hunters in a wooded area of 5 Bridge Road in Brimfield on October 23, 1993. The Hampden County District Attorney says they will continue to investigate and get answer for Holly's family.
2: We are seeking the public's assistance for any information about this shirt. We are interested in determining who owned the shirt, its origin, or places where it was known to be sold, anything about its manufacture, or any information regarding its association with the area where Holly was found in the Five Bridge Road area of Brimfield. 10-year-old Holly Peranian is always in the hearts and on the minds of her family,
0: even decades after the horrific crime that still haunts her aunt, Carla Jackman, to this day. I think she's watching over us, and it might be just about time that this we get some answers.
2: Holly disappeared back in August of 1993 while visiting
0: her grandparents in Sturbridge. Her remains were found months later in the woods of Brimfield. Her family can't comment on any specifics. Investigators will only say there are persons of interest in the case, but will not get any more specific. Of course, all this after Holly, with her brother, went to see some puppies in the Sturbridge neighborhood where she was staying with her grandmother in the summer, August of 1993, and she never returned home. Investigators, again, looking for the public's help. Reporting live from the DA's office in Springfield, I'm Beth Germano, WBZ News. State police found a white tank top with a blue, purple and pink colored Boston motif on the front, which is an item of interest in the case. The shirt has no tags or size information on it. Some of the items found in the area were seized as evidenced by state police and further forensic testing will be done. And the DA is asking for the public's help for any information on this shirt as far as where it was sold and its manufacturer. Working for you live in Springfield, Kiara Smith, 22 News. Well it is a case that has never gone cold for the family of Holly Peranian, who would have turned 40 years old last month. Today investigators renewed their call for the public's help with this investigation.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed? I am your host Bill Huffman and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcast production. On this week's show we're going to look back at a case that occurred 30 years ago And we are approaching the 30-year anniversary of one Holly Peranian, who was abducted, as you heard in the news clips at the beginning, in uh, Sturbridge, Massachusetts, while she was on vacation with her family. And it's a pretty tragic case that has seen some ups and seen some downs, and there is no specific suspect named at this present moment, but there are some interesting things out there that may provide some hope. So, take a listen to this week's episode of Who Killed Holly Peranian, and take a listen to the press conference at the end where the DA asks for the public's help. I will provide that as well as a link in the show notes. So, take a listen. Again, this week we are focusing on the case of 10-year-old Holly Peranian, who was abducted in Massachusetts. So... This is something that we should all pay attention to because we all want to see resolution in all of these cold cases. So it's something to keep an eye on and... This week's episode deals with the death of a child, so listeners, beware. The case involves a family vacation, an innocent trip to see puppies, and a disappearance that would rock a small town. You don't know who could have committed this crime, It could be anybody. This is one of those cases where you don't understand how investigators reach their conclusions without a conviction. Do you have a prime suspect, and why? This episode has evidence that will help you decide who killed Holly Peranian. Welcome to episode 26 of Who Killed Amy Maholovic. And as I mentioned before, this case this week is Who Killed Holly Peranian. And as a message to the listeners, if you haven't listened to last week's episode on Molly Bish, I strongly recommend listening to that show before you dive into this week's case. The two cases are not technically connected, but there is a belief amongst the true crime community that they must be. And I'm not going to say I'm officially one of those people but it is highly coincidental that two murders would occur so close to one another, but not be connected. Despite the warning, here's a quick recap about what I covered last week. So, Molly Ann Bish was 16 years old when she disappeared while lifeguarding on June 27, 2000 at Cummings Pond in Warren, Warren Mass. After an exhaustive search that involved police dogs, helicopters, and satellite imagery, There was no sign of Molly. Police divers searched the pond and the surrounding woods. However, Molly wouldn't be found until almost three years later when a hunter passing through the woods in the Whiskey Hill area of Palmer, Mass., located just about five miles from the Bish family home, spotted a blue bathing suit matching the description of the suit that was last worn by Molly. Police had several people of interest in Molly's case, but her case remains unsolved today. But seven years before Molly Bish was abducted, another young girl was kidnapped and killed in the same area. And that's what this week's case is going to focus on, the case that happened seven years before Molly was abducted. Forensic evidence does exist in this case, but the case technically remains unsolved. So listen to the evidence, and maybe you can decide who killed Holly Peranian. So today's case takes us back to the summer of August 5th, 1993, in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. Ten-year-old Holly Peranian was on family vacation visiting her grandmother when she was abducted in the middle of the day. She was a typical young girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. She went with her brother to visit some puppies, and walking down South Shore Drive in Sturbridge to the intersection of Allen Road. Her brother ended up returning to the cottage, but Holly had disappeared. As the situation became clearer, the search teams were deployed. Divers searched the South Pond, helicopters circled a 3-5 to five mile radius, and everybody was on patrol. It was after a weekend of all-out searching that the hard truth was really set in. This wasn't some kind of accident and was most likely the worst-case scenario, an abduction. Along with speaking to local sex offenders, authorities set up roadblocks and were searching every vehicle as it left the area. Holly's family used pink ribbons to try and keep the hope of Holly alive. And when you cover these cases, you know, you can become jaded until you realize how many times these ribbons, you know, yellow, purple, white, can be used as a symbol of hope. And the disappearance of Holly, in the heart of summer, really did baffle this quiet community of less than 10,000 people. And the reason why that I brought this case up this week is because the cases of Holly and Molly have been discussed together for a few reasons. But the biggest of those is because of the proximity of the towns where they vanished. And there are similar features and ages, but they were six years apart. But there are two eerie twists in the case. The first twist is that while Holly was missing, Molly Bish actually wrote a letter to Holly's family stating her despair over the case. And this is actually what she wrote. Quote, I am very sorry. I wish I could make it up to you. Holly is a very pretty girl. She is almost as tall as me. I wish I knew Holly. I hope they find her. Molly Bish. It was probably some sort of class activity that sent those letters to Holly's family, but the irony is definitely there. So I can't blame anyone for picking up on the fact that two girls who communicated while one was missing are both now abducted and murdered. It's definitely the elephant in the room. But to say that anyone involved in the case would have known that information is a stretch, and a massive stretch at that. By Friday, the search was massive, with as many as 500 volunteers from as far away as New Hampshire, all plodding through the woods. Officials said there were no signs of foul play, but they could not rule out the possibility that the girl was abducted the father richard peranian of grafton issued an appeal in the case to anyone who had kidnapped holly we're begging anyone with any information if they could just just let us know where she is just a couple of facts about holly she was a typical 10-year-old she was born on january 19th 1983 like most girls during the 1980s and the constant field trips to SeaWorld, she wanted to be a marine biologist. But she was also a water girl, and according to her grandmother, she was always in the water. According to her mother, Holly was a bright child, and she excelled in science. And she loved animals. But she was also a typical older sister to her younger brothers, and would always look after them. On the day that Holly went missing... Zachary, Holly's little brother, had gotten scared by the sight of a larger dog, and that's when he ran back to the family home. And that's when family realized that Holly wasn't with him, and that's when they went out looking. Holly's father, Richard Peranian, reported his daughter missing at 11.45 a.m. It was when Zachary, Holly's little brother, had returned home without Holly that the alarm bells went off and the family immediately began searching. Holly was just a happy girl, and she had recently celebrated her 10th birthday, and in the fall of that year, she would have entered the 5th grade. She lived in Grafton, Massachusetts, and had two brothers, Andrew and Zachary. According to the 1990 census, Grafton's population was approximately 13,000. Sturbridge, Mass., on the town from where Holly was disappeared, is a rural town on the border of Connecticut. In 1990, the population there was just under 8,000. Sturbridge is most known for Old Sturbridge Village, a living museum that recreates life in rural New England in the early 19th century. It was, by all accounts, a safe and very quiet place to raise a child. As I mentioned before, police began questioning sex offenders about Holly's disappearance within the first few hours. Police interviewed known sex offenders and residents in the area where Holly had vanished during the walk down a country road. Authorities said a thorough ground search of the area where Holly's family was vacationing was extensive. Police on horseback and motorcycles had widened the area, but they still were able to turn up nothing other than a red shoe. State Police Lieutenant Timothy Hackett said at the time, police were interviewing and re-interviewing neighbors of Holly's grandparents. As I had mentioned before, Holly and her brothers and father were vacationing at the grandparents' cottage in the South Pond area. Quote, there is an intense criminal investigation going on, Hackett said at the time. Now, while police were doing their thing, Holly's father, Rick Peranian, was trying to find answers on his own. Quote, I am trying to focus on just for the today, limit and trace down any leads and see if anyone might help. It's very common in these cases where you see family members take things upon themselves to start making posters and getting the word out. So I applaud any family member that is willing to put themselves out there right away, even if investigators are hesitant to think that something horrible has happened. But uh, definitely uh, give good props to Richard Peranian for keeping the word out and never hesitating on the fact that this was an abduction. Tina Harrington had been divorced from Richard Peranian for a while, but she made a televised plea where she was crying and said, Holly, if you can hear us, please be strong. Police even questioned a man that they had seen on the bridge, searched his brown pickup truck, but they also said that he was not a suspect in the girl's disappearance. The search continued to grow. Police and volunteers from three states began searching for Holly. Initially, police were unsure if Holly had been abducted or she was just lost or injured. Two canines had been brought in by the Connecticut State Police to look for Holly, and they focused on the heavily wooded area where shoe had been found. Divers, as I mentioned, searched the nearby South Pond, and as I mentioned earlier, too, that helicopters were used to search for any sign of Holly overhead. And as the weekend stretched on, police announced they believed that she had been a victim of foul play. Authorities continued to interview residents, question local sex offenders, set up roadblocks, and sort through the 100-plus tips about Holly. Police, volunteers, and Holly's family distributed hundreds of missing person flyers and hung pink ribbons across town. Just a week after her disappearance, Holly's case was featured on the infamous America's Most Wanted, which apparently in 1980s television was a rite of passage. Around 3.15 p.m. on September 7th, there was a tip that came in, of a woman reporting that she had seen a child that fit Holly's description on the New York State Thruway. And apparently she was in a Dodge Omni or Chrysler Horizon with possible Vermont license plates, driven by a white man in his mid to late 20s. And I'm reciting this from a description in an article. And she described him as a man in his late 20s with a receding brown hair, with a bushy mustache, with wide, buggy eyes. Now, she stated that the car was about 10 years old and had rust along one side of the vehicle. The sighting was pertinent enough that the Seneca County Sheriff spent days checking motels, state parks, and roads for Holly, but they were unable to find anything. So just like that, Holly's case quickly went cold.
0: We need someone to come forward who can place uh, these individuals in the area at the time that Holly disappeared. And I'm, I can't specify their names because um, they haven't been formally charged yet.
1: The location where these crimes took place makes some people believe that Holly Peranian and Molly Bish's cases are definitely connected. As I stated before, I find it ironic that two murders occurred in a small town within a few years, but I'm not about to make the leap to say that they have been killed by the same person. During the search for Holly, Sturbridge, Massachusetts became overrun with people wanting to help. This can be a good thing and this can be a bad thing, but in this case, the more bodies, the better. So as Holly was missing, searchers... Could only find traces of evidence, you know, such as the sneaker that I had mentioned before. And obviously, they went on America's Most Wanted with hopes that John Walsh would be able to get the story out nationally and bring attention to the case. Her mother, Christina Harrington of Grafton, sent a desperate plea to Holly and her possible abductor. Quote, she said, We are all still looking for you. State police said another wooded area was being searched, but it was not far from where Holly was last seen. They ended up searching swampy areas and found nothing. Holly's father, Richard Peranian, has expressed confidence in the investigation and the fact that his daughter is still alive because they haven't found anything that made him think anything different. At the time, Holly's disappearance was the largest and most expensive search in Massachusetts history, only to be eclipsed by Molly Bish seven years later. As the massive search was underway, it was conducted by local and state police, sheriff's departments, and units from Connecticut and Rhode Island. So needless to say, there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen. According to MassLive.com, the search began with 80 police officers and volunteers reached 350 by the next day and 500 plus by the end looking for Holly. But despite all the resources at their disposal, the searchers weren't able to find anything. I can only imagine what the f- first few hours for any family with a missing child can be like and how excruciating those hours can be. Because those hours turn into days, and those days turn into weeks, and then months. And then one day, just like that, the search is over. On October 23rd, 1993, Holly's remains were found by hunters in a wooded area off Five Bridge Road in Brimfield. State Police Colonel Charles F. Henderson said the badly decomposed body was discovered about 8.45 a.m. by hunters in a secluded but heavily wooded area. The area neighbors... Sturbridge, and is just a few miles from where Holly was last seen. Investigators found an abundance of evidence near Holly's remains at the wooded site where her body was dumped, although at the time they did not specify what those items were. It didn't take long for authorities to say an autopsy had confirmed that the remains of the young child found in the wooded area were that of 10-year-old Holly Peranian. The Hampton County District Attorney's Office in Springfield released a brief three-paragraph announcement confirming the skeletal remains belonged to Holly Peranian of Grafton. Authorities did not list a cause of death, nor did they say if the girl had been sexually molested. So far, police have not said if there are suspects in the case, although that changed pretty quickly. Holly's dad, Rick Peranian, said investigators told him that Holly had not been shot or stabbed. And Rick Rick Peranian said, I hope she didn't suffer, I hope she's at peace now. It did not take long for the news everyone feared began to spread. District Attorney William Bennett released a statement. All examinations of the remains necessary to determine identity are now complete and confirm that the body is that of Holly Peranian. On November thirteenth, 1993, Holly Peranian's funeral was held at St. Philip's Church with more than 500 grieving friends and relatives in attendance. And now that Holly's body has been laid to rest, I'm going to start getting into some of the suspects. Because as I mentioned before, there weren't many to go by at the time, but through the years, suspects have come out of the woodwork. So after the funeral, the first suspect to come onto the radar was one Gerald Battistoni. The Telegram reported, and I'm reading the opening of the article, quote, in 2011, a private investigator named Daniel Malley, a former Vermont state trooper who operates Allegiant Investigations in Worcester, alerted investigators after learning Mr. Battistoni had raped the daughter of a woman Mr. Battistoni was dating in the early 1990s. The teen told investigators she was raped as many as 100 times. Mr. Badistoni was convicted of four counts of rape and abuse of a child in Hampton Superior Court in Springfield in 2011. While investigating that case, Mr. Malley learned that Mr. Badistoni could be linked to the area in Sturbridge where Holly Peranian was last seen before her 1993 disappearance. Her remains were found off Five Bridge Road in Brimfield, not far from another area where Mr. Malley said Mr. Battistoni had been. The victim in the rape case had also moved to Cummings Pond in Warren and was living in the area about the time Molly Ann Bish was abducted from her lifeguard post and murdered. Mr. Battistoni was also familiar with Whiskey Hill using the road to travel back and forth to Warren from war. His former wife had said in an 2011 interview. The Telegram and Gazette reported that Gerald Battistoni, quote, a convicted child rapist and who may be a person of interest in the disappearance and murders of Molly Ambish and Holly Kristen Peranian, attempted suicide while in prison. Battistoni had cut his throat. Apparently, he had been upset about reports that the private investigator I was talking about earlier had been working to link him to the deaths of Molly and Holly. Palmer police have said that Battistoni had worked as a confidential informant for a regional drug task force. And a retired police sergeant, Kevin Kopax, said he had twice responded to Mr. Battistoni's homes when he had attempted suicide, once by hanging and a second time by carbon monoxide poisoning. Mr. Malley learned that Battistoni had been familiar with Cummings Pond and Warren, where Molly had disappeared, and that he had a connection to the area where Holly was abducted. He also allegedly bought drugs from a man who lived at the foot of Whiskey Hill, just a mile or so where Molly's remains were found. Some of the women he's been with remember Mr. Battistoni acting out violent rape fantasies, handcuffing them, and asking one to say the name of his young rape victim and tell him she was only 10 years old. He was twice caught impersonating a police officer, carrying police-style equipment, and intimidating people in bars. Worcester District Attorney Joseph D. Early Jr. said that Mr. Battistoni is one of the people on the radar of the state police detectives investigating the Bish case. Mr. Malley said, quote, For him to take this action at this time only further raises questions. Mr. Malley said he also shared information about Mr. Battistoni with detectives in Hampton County, where the Peranian case is being handled. The next suspect on the list is Louis Lent. He was a convicted serial killer who had at the time recently admitted to killing a 16-year-old girl named Jamie Lusher of Westfield in 1992. Lent is serving a life sentence for killing a 12-year-old boy in 1990. He has also confessed to killing Sarah Wood of New York in 1993 and kidnapping a Pittsfield girl in 1994. Lent was questioned in Holly's disappearance, but again, no charges were ever brought. State police did try to gather enough evidence to connect him during Holly's disappearance, but they were unable to do so. A 43-year-old man arrested—so far, Lent is a suspect in the murders of at least four children— And authorities say they have not ruled him out as a suspect in the disappearance or murder of four others, including Sarah Pryor, 9, of Wayland, Mass., who disappeared in 1985, as well as the subject of this week's case, Holly Peranian, 10, of Grafton. In Florida, the family of 12-year-old Angela Ramsey, who disappeared in Deland in 1977, was notified about the possible break in her case. Lent had lived in the DeLand area in 1977. So, needless to say, this guy was a convicted child killer that had been in the area of Holly's disappearance as well as in the area of DeLand, Florida, for another 12 year old murder. The next person on the list is Robert Arms, a former Brookfield resident who a former local police officer claimed on a 2003 episode of the CBS TV show 48 Hours was responsible for the deaths of Holly and Molly. The most alarming thing that Arms did occurred shortly after Holly disappeared. He approached the family and volunteered to search and raise money. Arms is a day laborer from Sturbridge who's since moved to a neighboring state. Migouin said that, quote, I think that he's involved with Holly Paranian. I'm not sure about any involvement with Molly Bish, but I'm absolutely sure about Holly. McGeehan says Arms knew the area well and acted suspiciously after Holly's murder. A couple things that stood out to him said he bought a new pair of boots the same day that she was abducted. He had junked the car that he had been driving during the time. And McGeehan says, quote, he knew about physical evidence. He wanted to get rid of it. In another strange move, Arms went to the press and declared himself a suspect and denied any involvement. Quote, I have a clear conscience. I don't need to confess to something I didn't do to have a clear conscience. Police have never been able to determine Arms's whereabouts when the abduction took place, but they claim that he failed a lie detector test. McGowan has said that he has taken t- statements from various people who knew Arms and claims that they have overheard him talk about his involvement and implicates himself in the P- Peranian Perr- murder. State Police Lieutenant Peter Higgins says he's grateful for McEwen's leads. Quote, he has provided us information in the past. We've looked at it, we've worked on it, and it's proved helpful. Despite not having a bunch of suspects at the time of her abduction and murder, there have been a number of suspects named in the media since. Some that may even be connected to both Holly and Molly's murder. Another one of those people is Rodney Stanger, who used to live in the Sturbridge area but there hasn't been any reports about DNA to connect him to Holly's death. Some people think he could have been a suspect in the murder of Molly Bish in June 2000. Stanger is serving 25 years for killing his girlfriend in Summerfield, Florida. Rodney Stanger was a 64-year-old native of Southbridge, Mass., who was living in the area at the time and emerged as a person of interest in 2009. Stanger abruptly moved to Florida following Bish's disappearance. And as I mentioned before, he is now serving a 25-year prison term for the murder of his living girlfriend, Crystal Morrison. It was during the clean-out of Stanger's home in Florida that inside a kitchen cabinet, they found a wallet that contained a Massachusetts firearm identification card with a photo of Stanger that looked like the sketches made of the suspicious man seen hanging around the pond the day before Bish had vanished. The FID card was renewed just two months before Bish's disappearance from Cummings Pond and Warren, Mass. Quote, he looks just like the sketch, the worker told the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. It's him. I have no doubt it's him. The wallet has held Stanger's birth certificate, which listed Warren, Mass. as his birthplace, as well as a Massachusetts fishing license, as well as some keys to a safety deposit box. Stanger was already a person of interest in the Bish case, partly because of a tip, but after Morrison's death in 2008, he had become much more of a focus. But again, no charges have ever been filed against Rodney Stanger. Another person of interest was Robert Burno, who had accosted a jogger and was arrested. Robert Burno's brother, John Burno, had a seasonal campground a Yogi Bear campground at that, in Sturbridge, Mass. So it's very possible that Burno could have been familiar with the area and may have spent time hunting or fishing around that locale. Robert Burno has a lengthy criminal record that included charges of assault and battery. But despite the circumstantial evidence connecting these suspects, no one has ever been charged in either Holly or Molly's crimes. Authorities needed a break. And in 2012, they thought they hit the payload. The DNA, or any DNA for that matter, is usually enough for a conviction. It was supposed to be the beginning of the end, but that press conference was seven years ago and still nothing. But what you have to remember when you are dealing with skeletal remains of a child or an adolescent there are enough things and enough time has passed that the remains may have been so decomposed that what you're actually collecting is just bits and pieces. So the most interesting turn of events came in early 2012 when a Hampton district attorney held a press conference stating forensic evidence tested had been tied to David Poulat to the scene of where Holly's body was found. He was from the Springfield area and was living in the area when she disappeared. Poulat had died at the age of 49 in 2003. So in 2012, authorities were looking into a connection between Poulat and an item found near Holly's body. Now, all of these leads, and police say there still isn't enough to charge anybody for her death. According to an article by Dave Smith on January 3, 2012, of the International Business Times, Richard Peranian said, quote, we were always told we'd probably be waiting on the forensic technology to get better. So the strangest twist of the whole case comes now, during the press conference detailing the new evidence.
2: The person identified we can establish had a familiarity and, in fact, a connection to that very area where Holly disappeared and where her remains were found. Uh, And I repeat, Mr. Pouillat at this time is not being named a suspect. However, I can tell you that evaluation of the nature and the character of the piece of evidence that was tested as well as the specific location it was found and the condition in which it was found. We consider it to be very relevant in this investigation.
1: Hampton District Attorney Mark G. Mastrione said in January 2012, quote, The nature of the item suggests either Mr. Poulot or people associated with him were in the area at a time relevant to the disappearance of Holly and the discovery of her remains. The DA added, quote, He is clearly someone it's appropriate to say we need to know more about. The person identified we can establish had a familiarity and, in fact, a connection to that very area where Holly disappeared and where her remains were found. But again, no one has been charged with her murder. A spokesman for the Massachusetts State Police told the Boston Globe in 2012, quote, We hope the new evidence may spark someone's memory or someone's conscience. The bottom line of the press conference was investigators still want to speak to anyone who had any interaction with Poulat from 1993 to 2003. The district attorney's office said he remains part of the investigation. And according to a story by ABC News Go, while Poulat was not linked to the murder, he was now linked to the scene. So he's definitely associated with the investigation. Now, Poulat had apparently frequented Brimfield, the same area where Holly's body was found, to go hunting and fishing. We linked him forensically to the scene, unquote, but he is not a suspect. Investigators, again, named David Poulat, but again, this is a big but. They stopped short of naming him as a suspect. Despite investigators saying they have evidence near Holly's remains that indisputably put Pulat at the wooded area site where her body was dumped, they still have no direct link to the Peranian case and the killing of 16-year-old Molly Bish. Now that is very frustrating because DNA, as we have always been told, is supposed to be the silver bullet or the stake in the heart of any case because dna is indisputable so what was this guy's dna doing near a body that had just been discovered or dna that had been there when the body was placed there big questions left to be answered holly's father rick peranian seemed to be more optimistic at the time and had said to the boston globe quote this is the lead that we've been waiting for quote we feel it's the beginning of the end of this case Unfortunately, seven years, six years have gone by, and nothing. Pulat had died in 2003, as I mentioned, at the age of 49 in his mother's home in Springfield. His obituary says that he was a Vietnam War veteran and a member of the U.S. Coast Guard and had worked for the Massachusetts Department of Youth Services at the Juvenile Detention Center in Westfield at the time of his death. Authorities did say that he frequently hunted and fished in the area where Holly was found. He did have a criminal record, but none of the arrests, they say, suggested that he might be capable of killing a little girl. Now, the presser was the first break in the case in 10 years, but it was stressed several times during the conference that Poulat was not a suspect and was just merely a person of interest. So I'm not sure if they were just doing a dog and pony show, to pull out all the stops to try to get somebody to confess, or if they actually knew that he may be connected to another crime or another person. District Attorney Anthony Gullini said the police detectives who were originally assigned to Holly's case have never stopped pursuing leads and looking for her killer. And in fact, they have named several suspects, but none have ever panned out. Investigators have probed but found no links between Holly's killing and the still unsolved death of Molly Bish. Now, Molly's remains were found three years later in the area of Palmer. Palmer and Warren are in the same region of the state as Sturbridge and Brimfield. So when I was digging around web sleuths, I came across a post mentioning the Connecticut River Killer and how he may be a good suspect in the case of Molly Bish. I was actually unfamiliar with this case, so I'm not sure how much weight to give to it, but there weren't any reported murders after the last in 1989. But I'm not so sure that he stopped killing in the 1980s and believe he may have also targeted children at the time. So, I don't know, I'm kind of open on that one. I think anybody who's looking for answers to an unsolved case will always look to a serial killer or a potential boogeyman as the unknown offender. So Holly was most likely a victim of opportunity, and the offender most likely lived or traveled in the area. And the fact that she was abducted when she was was probably just the fact that she was by herself. And unfortunately, in crimes like this, that's generally a sexually related crime. In what has become a macabre routine around the anniversary of Holly's disappearance, the media comes out and they hold their little anniversary stories. But the family, they take it a step further and they hold a thing called Hope for Holly. And it's a campaign that helps generate tips. Now, the campaign is actually hosted by cold case consultant Sarah Stein. You've heard her quoted earlier. She was the one speaking at the press conference. And it's just amazing that she is able to, you know, host this type of event and keep the attention on a case that is going on 30 years. And having covered the Amy Mahalovic case, which it will be 30 years in October, it is nice to see that there are people out there that are continuing to investigate, and put pressure on the authorities to get these cases solved. Both families have gone through more than any family should have to endure. But on the bright side, neither Holly nor Molly's families have ever given up hope. But now the families are left to imagine what life would have been like. What would Holly have become? She wanted to be a marine biologist. But I can imagine her wanting to clean up the oceans and make those animals or mammals the way that she remembered them. Her friends are now grown, and some of them are married and have children of their own. Holly's family marked the 20th anniversary with a memorial mass at St. Philip Parish in Grafton, and that was where Holly was baptized and received her first communion. And it was the year that they also tried to get the story out to the media because it is still unsolved state police sergeant brendan o'toole has worked on holly's case since 2000 and his boss captain peter higgins has also been on the case since day one o'toole said the state police detectives unit attached to the hampton district attorney's office is looking at leads both new and old sending evidence out for testing and meeting with the Peranian family on the regular to keep them updated He said the office receives an uptick in the number of calls about Holly's case because of the media coverage on each anniversary. While no one has been arrested for Holly's disappearance and death, several people have been possibly identified as being the killer. So again, the cases of Holly and Molly that have been discussed in tandem, mostly due to the proximity of the towns where they vanished and their similar features and ages and the fact that Molly had written a letter of support to the Peranian family shortly after Holly disappeared, all those things combined make these two cases feel like they will forever be connected. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, or if the killer is the same person. And if it is, I'm happy to have him give the police a call, because they are waiting for any information from anybody in regards to the death of either Holly or Molly. Holly's disappearance had opened the eyes of her family on just how many disgusting people had lived in the Sturbridge area. So they had urged parents and local residents to be aware of who was living in their neighborhood and to be alert. And I'm not saying that this is just a Sturbridge problem. This is a problem that exists across the country. And that could be something that you can either look at because of the sex offender list or... The offenders themselves. That's a political thing, I'm not going there. Anyway, she said that basically the family was very pleased with the current case of the investigation, even though it still remains unsolved. The family does hope that with today's technology and with new things being developed every day, that they will actually be able to get an arrest and a conviction. In 2016, a spokesperson for the district attorney's office said, Poulat remains a part of the investigation, but still remains not a suspect. Holly was the daughter of Christina Harrington and Richard Peranian, and the sister of Zachary and Andrew. And now she has been laid to rest, and it's up to you to decide on whether or not you think it was David Poulat or one of these other suspects that has been mentioned in this episode. Because without any charges being brought against any of these individuals, the case technically remains unsolved. So if you are one of those people that has information, please don't hesitate to give the proper authorities a call. You may be the difference. Thank you again for listening this week. If you have not subscribed yet, please do. As a reminder, this is an independently produced podcast, so if you'd like to help keep the lights on and the recorders running, you can support the show by clicking the Donate button on the right side of whokilledamymahalovic.com or via the Venmo app with my username at BillHuffman3. Any amount is appreciated, and as I said before, it does help keep the recorders running. If you want to stay up-to-date on the Amy Mahalovic case or any other case that I have covered, you can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. If you do enjoy this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That will help support the show and help keep cases like Amy's, Holly's, Molly's, and Shakira's in the spotlight. Anyone with information about Holly's murder is asked to email thomas.w.sullivan3 at massmail.state.ma.us. I will put that in the show notes. Or call the Hampton County State Police Detective Unit at 413-505-5993. People are welcome to text information to CRIMES, that is 274-637 with the subject line, solve Holly Peranian," A $40,000 reward is being offered for information leading directly to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. If you have any information regarding the case of the 16-year-old Molly Ann Bish that I covered last week, you can contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or the Massachusetts State Police at 1-800-808-9677. And please don't forget, October 27th will mark 30 years Amy Mihaljevic's case has remained unsolved. If you have any new information in regards to her case, please contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234. The FBI is also offering a reward in that case up to $25,000 for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Maholovic. So again, anyone with information concerning any of these cases, your contact is 1-800-CALL-FBI. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, as always, stay healthy and be safe.
2: I thank you all for being here. I recently stated in a public update on an unrelated, unresolved homicide case As district attorney, along with my team, we never forget victims of homicide. And more important, we work on these cases until justice is served. It is our mission to to deliver justice for these victims and their families. For all of us involved, it is a solemn and deeply meaningful obligation. In this endeavor, we work as many hours as we can devote. We spare no expense. We deploy only the best investigators and resources and we employ the latest technologies. However, in many instances, we cannot do it alone. We need the public's assistance. We need someone who knows something to stand up with us and do what is right. Accordingly, we're here this morning to ask members of the media and the public at large for assistance in the homicide investigation of Holly Paranian. Holly was 10 years old at the time of her abduction and murder. On August 5, 1993, Holly had been vacationing with her family with her father, pardon me, and other family members at a cottage in Sturbridge. She was last seen by her father at about 1145 a.m. heading toward a residence around Allen in South Shore roads in Sturbridge to play with puppies. She knew were at a home. About one hour later, Holly was reported missing by her father after she did not return. Her father immediately began searching for her, finding only her sneaker on South Shore Road. Police were notified and a massive search began by local and state police, sheriff's departments and law enforcement contingents from the states of Connecticut and Rhode Island. The search stretched on for days and weeks, continuing with no results. Sadly, on October 23, 1993, Holly's remains were found by hunters in a wooded area off Five Bridge Road in the town of Brimfield. The crime scene was photographed and processed by personnel from the Massachusetts State Police, including its crime scene services section and crime Laboratory and the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. Items discovered at or near the location of Holly's remains were documented, seized, and have been maintained by the Massachusetts State Police ever since. Throughout the subsequent investigation into Holly's disappearance and death, evidence has been reviewed, identified for forensic analysis, and subjected to various testing procedures. As a part of my office's ongoing efforts to solve outstanding homicide cases, Holly's case has remained in focus and has been continually reviewed to determine if the application of further forensic and scientific examination would be beneficial. Case items documented in 1993 were identified within the past six months for further forensic testing, expanding on previous testing. Regarding one item a white tank top. The assistance of the public is now being sought. As you can see, this is a white tank top style shirt with a blue, purple and pink colored Boston motif on the exterior front. The shirt has no tags or size information. We are seeking the public's assistance for any information about this shirt. We are interested in determining who owned the shirt. Its origin or places where it was known to be sold. Anything about its manufacture, Or any information regarding its association with the area where Holly was found in the five bridge road area of Brimfield. We also recently included Holly's case in a deck of playing cards that was distributed in Massachusetts jails and prisons in partnership with the Massachusetts State Police, which aims to encourage tips and information from inmates who may be in the know about what happened to Holly. As we continue this search for answers, we are here today to issue a clarion call to the public and together as a community, as a community, to finally bring justice for Holly and her family. Anyone with information that is specifically related to the Boston tank top or any information at all that is related to Holly's murder, we ask that you contact Holly's tip line 413-426-3507. You can also use text-to-tip by texting the word crimes numerically 274637 and type the word solve into the body of the message followed by your tip. Just a couple weeks ago on January 19th, Holly would have celebrated her 40th birthday. For nearly 30 years, the Peranian family has been coping with this unimaginable tragedy. Throughout that time, law enforcement has never stopped working to bring justice for Holly and her family. Today, we continue to urge members of the public who have any information to please contact us. To Holly's family here with us today and watching at home, we stand with you in your grief, we share in your loss, and we are relentless in bringing those responsible to justice. Again, if you have any information on the abduction and murder of Holly Peranian, or about the tank top shirt shown, please call the Hamden District Attorney's tip line at 413-426-3507. I thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty,